This is Thinking Out Loud, a podcast about current events and Christian hope. Have a hard time putting those two things together? You're not alone. Our timelines may be filled with bad news, but at Thinking Out Loud, we believe the gospel speaks to every issue, past, present, and future. And we want this to be your place to process truth. So what does it mean to live in the light of the gospel's eternal truth rather than in the shadow of our never-ending dumpster fires? That's the question animating this conversation between Nathan Rittenhouse and Cameron McAllister, co-founders of Thinking Out Loud, a ministry that wants to move apologetics out of the ivory tower and into your living room. Our hope at Thinking Out Loud is to see ordinary Christians advance the credibility of Christ. One way to do that is to respond to the day's news with genuine peace and resilience. So let's think out loud together about current events and Christian hope. Hello, and welcome to Thinking Out Loud. I'm your co-host, Nathan Rittenhouse. And I'm your co-host, Cameron McAllister. And this is a big surprise to everyone that I'm going to make a reference to a popular song, namely one by Beyonce. And uh, before people get worried, I just want let to let people know she has not broken my soul. But we do want to talk about her new song, Break My Soul, because it's gained, I, I don't know why I saw this. Anyway, it came out, I don't know. But there was a headline this morning in the Wall Street Journal that made me chuckle to see that it was there. And I want to bat this idea around with you guys because I think it does interestingly put a finger on perhaps a cultural mood right now that we should wrestle with a little bit. But anyway, here's the Wall Street Journal uh, headline. Beyonce's Break My Soul, Inspired Quitters, Economists Are Divided Over It. And so essentially what we have going on for those of you, who, and I don't think you need to go listen to this song, you'll be fine, but I, you probably will hear it somewhere whether you like it or not. Uh, it's a song that catchy beat and kind of wallows in the idea of being done and being pushed too far. It follows in the theme of a lot of other from nine to five or take this job and shove it type uh, historical songs of people who are dissatisfied uh, with their work, feel like they're being overworked, and they quit. And so her line about quitting my job, finding a new foundation, new motivation, new salvation, and working from that, um, I guess has, you know, I see some of these things and think, oh, that's interesting. And other people think, maybe I should quit my job. <laughs> and the conversation uh, from the economic side of people saying, ah, probably now is not the time to actually quit your job because you don't like it. With uh, the uncertainties of the economic perspective in our country, you probably should hang on to uh, what you're doing. But that being said, the last two years have seen a lot of people step back from their jobs or switch careers or look for new opportunities or uh, recalibrate what they think is important in life. And so, okay, let's name from the outset that there's a little tongue in cheek thing going on here. You know, when you're Beyonce and you're married to a billionaire, uh, you'll probably be okay. And she didn't quit her job. So, Consider the source when you, before you take all that too seriously. But Cameron, what is, why does this song work? Or what, I mean, let's, you know, other than mind-numbing musical beats aside, what's what cultural mood is it targeting? I think a cultural mood of true exhaustion. And it actually, interestingly, this is such a thinking out loud thing to do. This is such a Cameron McAllister thing to do. This put me in mind of a French intellectual. Oh, yeah, Beyonce, Bruno French Latour. intellectual. Here we Somebody go. May... <laughs> Perfect. There you go. Yeah, it's a it's it's a natural progression, my friend. But 
So Bruno Latour, for those of you who who don't know, came to prominence with a book called Laboratory Life. He is a sociologist of knowledge, is prob- probably how you could categorize what he's doing. But essentially, he he did some anthropological fieldwork observing scientists in their laboratory and wrote this book. It was very controversial because he basically shed light on the very human aspects of sci- of the institution of science. He wasn't at all trying to discredit science. But as we've said before on the podcast, sometimes modern people have a bit of a superstitious view of science as this kind of infallible practice, and it is not. So anyway, he did that. He also wrote the book, We Were Never Modern. So a pretty well-known, provocative thinker. So I think he is now in his, I think he's 75 years old now, still writing. But one of the one of his observations about the pandemic I think is very helpful and really incisive. He talks about the lockdown as a kind of forced spiritual exile. This is the kind of Mm. language he uses. And he said, so a lot of people, right. So a lot of people are marooned in their homes and keep in mind, of course, he was, he's writing from, he lives in Paris. So in the early stages of of the pandemic, some of the, the lockdown measures in France were pretty stringent. But he talks about how people who normally didn't have to sit still and really deal with any kind of existential angst, they they were perfectly able to fill their life with lots of activity, suddenly couldn't escape it anymore. And he talks about this massive spiritual unrest that's come to the surface. And I think that Beyonce's song is playing on that a little bit. And some of the basic ways that usually manifests you know, has to do with questions of, okay, what am I doing with my life? This work that I've just been doing for so long, whether I'm, you know, a corporate drone or I'm in the service industry day in and day out, I don't have to do it anymore. And why should I do it? The work itself is not fulfilling to me. After all, there's more to life than just going to work and making money. I want meaning. I want significance. So, it's almost like a kind of you could I think I suppose a flattering way to say it is a kind of forced spiritual exile. Another way of looking at it is you could say, well, this sounds almost like a kind of forced midlife crisis or a kind of second adolescence for a lot of people. But I think that this deep restlessness that has kind of come to the fore because of global events has been probably accelerated by global events. I mean, these are there are spiritual factors here that have been in play for a long time. But I think those accelerating factors have created this mood. And then this a song like this seems a very fitting soundtrack for that mood. Well, so let me, yeah. Well, here's my question or observation. Tell me if I'm, maybe I'm probably wrong on this. But it, it seems funny that we talk about the last two years being a time of cultural exhaustion when it's been the period in which we've collectively probably done less than at any point in any of our living memories. And so it's wild. And and I think actually all of us know instances of this where we can be more exhausted from doing nothing than we are from doing good work. And so that's just an interesting thing. Uh, and I would see this as a huge pointer yeah. to the fact that humans are made to work. You know, work is a God-created thing and it existed before the fall. It's not the result of sin. You were made to work. Um, 
And so there's something interesting there about it almost being more refreshing to do good work than to do nothing. Uh, so anyway, it's just ironic to say that we're at a time of exhaustion when actually that exhaustion is coming from being cooped up, not because it's like we've had sweat dripping off of our noses nine hours a day for the most part. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, there's it's definitely more of a spiritual exhaustion. I think in the early stages of the pandemic, for instance, you had a good deal of fear. That was that fear was concentrated in different ways, sometimes depending on one's political perspective. But there was huge uncertainty. There were obviously there were just new unknown developments happening all the time. And so there was the emotional exhaustion of dealing with that. There was the emotional exhaustion of dealing with constantly shifting policies and practices. And then there was the exhaustion that comes from being, yeah, largely stuck in your home or wherever, you know, and, and kind of cooped up in a way that deprived you of social interaction. So there was a kind of isolation that was happening. And so during times of depression, one of the basic symptoms is that people have a very hard time sleeping and getting rest. Insomnia is a pretty textbook mm -hmm. symptom. So you had a lot of that going on as well. So this is what we're talking about here is a kind of soul exhaustion. Yeah, it's not, well, let me, yeah, it's not from, you know, for the most part, grueling manual labor, as you said. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let me get you the lyric here. Um, so work by nine, then off past five, they got, and they work my nerves. That's why I cannot sleep at night. And so when you, you know, when you said the, the, the yeah. sleeping thing really does play into this of, uh, yeah. Anyway, it's, it's like one of those things where you roll your eyes about it. But it is interesting sociological analysis. Yeah, and I think this is where a lot of the, I mean, pop culture can can function as a really powerful barometer for what is is going on. And I think the fact that you've got such, that something like this has gained such traction with words like break my soul it really does it's it's a testimony to the the overall just the state of so many people who are really struggling to make sense of what's happened in the last 2 years or so and are looking at an uncertain future but here's where here's where yes you can you can say that yeah this is very in a sense very on the nose it's capturing something about the dominant mood of course but then you can step back and say the future is always uncertain. <laughs> there are times where we think we we have a good grasp of the future and we think we know exactly where everything is going and all is stable and all is well. But in fact, that's an illusion. And don't get me wrong. I understand that there are times where you have greater economic stability, where the job market looks better. Fine. All well and dandy. But it's still the height of presumption to think that you've got it all figured out and that everything is going to go according to your plan. I think, again, we're getting schooled in some timeless lessons of what it means to be a person. I think we're getting schooled in some time, timeless lessons of the human condition. But songs songs like like this, of course, are hitting the heart of the emotions and showing the desperation in people's hearts. And that... That can be quite a valuable thing. And it's worth pointing out that for whatever reason, I've just never gotten as much into Beyonce, even though she's 
probably one of the most powerful women in hip hop right now. But this is this is a good song, and it really it doesn't just you know strike a nerve. It's worth listening to. You'll if you listen to it, chances are you will probably enjoy it. Nah, so unless you're it's, me. But it's well done. It's a good. <laughs> yeah, unless you're Nathan, of course. But yes. you know who 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 out there is surprised that Nathan is not <laughs> captivated by well, Beyonce's okay. "Break My Soul." Uh, Cameron, does all work have to be meaningful in order to be good? What is? Yeah, I'm not. I'm not even sure fully what I mean by that question. But it's it's sort of this wrestle with: is there an unrealistic expectation that? Um, you know, like you kind of have like the Mike Rowe, remember the dirty jobs guy who did the TV show on like hardworking yeah. Americans and all that. And he kind of does the thing of like, don't follow your dreams, follow the opportunities. Um, like your passions don't put food on the table. Usually, um, you need to go where the opportunities are and that's how you get started in life. And I think there's a weird, like, yes to that of, of sort of, um, Mm-hmm. Hey, when you're a high school student, you don't have a lot of opportunity. I mean, or a college student when you don't, I mean, you basically, yeah. I've done a lot of things that have not exactly been pleasurable, but they paid for college. So, yes. um, there's, there's a time and a place for that. And I think part of the thing that's going on now is people trying to figure out, okay, how far does that go? And when do I come to the point of saying, I want to do something with my life that I actually find it meaningful so that I'm working in order to live, not living in order to work. Yeah, and I think it's an adjust. It involves an adjustment of one's expectations, because earning, working to earn a paycheck and earn a living, earning, you know, working to take care of other people, earning, working to goodness, my words, working to earn money for college or to for a down payment on a house. These are all meaningful activities, and they all have different degrees of significance attached to them. Now, are they deeply fulfilling? Perhaps not, not all of them, but yes. So I think there is room for some realistic adjustment of one's expectations when we're thinking about work. A job is a job. And I think we have to agree that on a very basic level, you know, earning money to take care of yourself, take care of a family, or to save up for some kind of a goal, that is, that, that, that's still meaningful work. But Ideally speaking, you want to also reach a place, and I think it's it's worth speaking to to Christians here in particular. You want to come to a place where, as Frederick Beekner once said, you you find you find that spot where the world's deep needs or some of the world's deep needs intersect with your great passions or your gifts. And I'm butchering that quotation a little bit. And that's where a sense of calling can come in. But the trick here is not to get too carried away because we are called to serve the Lord our God wherever we are and with the gifts and the talents that we have. So that may be, for some, for some that may be you're in a stay-at-home role and you're taking care of people, you're taking care of children— or you're doing some form of manual labor that may not immediately see, seem so hugely influential and meaningful in some of the, the kind of grandiose ways that we think of these things, but it still is. This is where I think there are some real helpful thoughts from our 
you know, from the Reformation days. I mean, you think about that famous quote from Luther where he says, you know, if you're a shoemaker, make shoes and do it for the glory for God's glory. And I think that's that's a really liberating and beautiful sentiment. So, but again, your basic assumptions about reality are going to make all the difference in the world. So if you've somehow bought into the tacit American philosophy that you're defined by what you do and that your value is predicated on your contributions to society whether and and that you're also the you get meaning in your life either through possessions or the accumulation of major experiences well then the job market can be a very daunting thing for you and there are many forms of of work that are going to feel very unfulfilling to you necessarily because they're not connected to some to your own sort of self-development and your own grand project. So but anyway. if you think that the world is yeah. Well, so you're you're saying something important here that I don't want us to go skipping past too quickly. Um and it could be summed up in this question mm-hmm. I think of is it is it a no, I don't think it is. But I want to ask, is it is it a uniquely modern thing that we would find our identity based in our job? Or that the meaning of our life has to be satisfied in the nine hours a day we're at work or whatever it is. Um, like the, the, It almost feels like we, we've lived in a time in which our life needs to fit into our job, not our job into our life. And I'm wrestling to articulate and think through how much of what, what the right balance there is. Because um, I was thinking, uh, you know, like, so take my, I had a great, great grandfather who was a, uh, old mountain preacher and traveled around preaching lots of places and also worked in a furniture factory for 40 years. Um, and so he did the one thing in order to enable him to do the other thing. Um, and I don't know what the outcome of all of that was, but it's just kind of like, yeah, and this is what I do to buy feed for the mule and Mm -hmm. off I go. Um, and so, yeah, it'd be an interesting, and I guess that's for different people. We hold our level of identity based off of our occupation at different degrees. Well, I mean, and it's worth pointing out that, you know, in the Middle Ages, for instance, you were born often into a certain line of work if you weren't trade, you know, yeah. royalty, right? And so you were you would you would, you know, be born to a blacksmith and then that would be that's almost your destiny, right? And then you're apprenticed and that's what you do. And it kind of was all it's the arrangements are already there and and sort of fixed. In the modern world, you have a lot more mobility, you have a lot more flexibility, and there are more options. So I think the tendency to define yourself by what you do has always been around. But it's, I think, again, the the key difference in our own day seems to always be it has to do with, with um, it's a matter of, of degree, not kind. So your ability to equate yourself with your job or to think of yourself as as only as valuable as what you do is higher now because there are seeming there are more opportunities but it's also a world where largely again we we tend to measure people's value in either economic terms or in in terms of how useful they are and so that gets communicated so many different ways not never usually not directly often just tacitly just Look at the items that we celebrate in our culture, even in the church, by the way. There's a there's a real tendency, if we're not careful, 
to think that basically if somebody is, for instance, is real successful in their job, if they've, you know, become wealthy and accumulated a lot to equate that with virtue. Now, the mm. person may be virtuous. There's nothing antithetical to, you know, in wealth to virtue. But now scripture does make it clear there there are some challenges that come along with with a lot of, you know, with great resources. But that's that's a kind of knee-jerk response we often have. And that tells you something about how we look at accomplishment, achievement in our culture. And also that'll give you a clue as to the kind of, you know, it'll, it'll give you a clue about some of the pressure that's attached to a lot of these endeavors as well. Yeah. Now, so there's um <laughs> there's a little bit of irony in this. I mean, you and I both quit a job within the last year. So, you know, on some some level we're we're implicated in this movement. I think we had some moral frustrations and concerns that led to that. Um it wasn't a a, a frustration or a, a lack of a will to, or a desire to work. It was a nah, this isn't a good thing uh at that at this point. So, um I think there very likely are times when we need to say, nope, I need to move on to something else. This is not, um, your job is shaping you. I guess that maybe that's one, one thing to take out of it is there's no such thing as kind of a, a career or a job that doesn't shape and form. It is a form of discipleship. It's a place where you spend a phenomenal amount of time. Mm -hmm. It is crafting you into something. And so I think there's a sense in which it's very okay to have your, eyes wide open to say, okay, what is, what is the type of person that God wants me to be? And is this shaping me in that direction? And I would say that the answer to that could be yes. In a lot of very interesting situations, you can work in a furniture factory for 40 years to the glory of God. You can make shoes in a way that serves humanity and unglorifies God. So it's not to say that, you know, quote, secular jobs aren't a place of spiritual formation for you or a place of great witness or great opportunity for compassion and the formation of relationships and community. Those are all there. Um, I think I've, and this is just anecdotal at this point, watched people who, one of the things that has been highlighted over the last few years is just the dysfunctional structures and systems that have existed in a lot of places of, of work. And then you throw in a pandemic and kind of all chaos breaks loose where people say, there's got to be more to the life than trying mm -hmm. to put up with all of this red tape and jumping through these hoops. I'm going to go do my own thing. So I'm, I'm kind of stuck as a, in a sympathetic, like, yes, that is very understandable. And that is true. Um, so perhaps though, Cameron, okay, let me try to salvage my meanderings here. Um, should we think of our jobs as a, every job, any, whatever you're doing, um, as a calling. So is there, is there a, if there's a sanctity to time and a life that you've been given, why do we, I mean, I've been thinking about this a lot. Like we call, like we call church leadership or we call preachers and we talk about the call of God on somebody's lives for mm -hmm. ministry. Um, that's mm -hmm. true, but it also exists in every other category of life. I think, um, mm -hmm. where, the Lord wants good people involved in all aspects of wholesome activity under the sun. So it's it's a, a sense in which I'm trying to grapple with a more holistic vision of saying that our job is something that we are called into as a every, all of them are places of ministry. All of them are places for us to grow and for the Lord to shape Christ likeness in us. Um, 
on the other hand, sometimes, well, actually, no, well, mm -hmm. okay. Most growth in education isn't pleasant. So the expectation that if it is, I, this is a, so this happens in scripture a lot of times where people who are doing the will of God suffer the most. And there's this expectation right. that if I'm yeah. doing what God wants me to, it'll be great. Um, actually, obedience is mm -hmm. the most painful option in a lot of situations. And so I don't want to say that as a categorical, yeah. categorical statement about <laughs> your career, but it is worth thinking just because something is obnoxious does not mean that it isn't the right thing to be doing. Yeah, and I think, so to go back to what I was saying earlier, if if the world is charged with God's grandeur, that means that all of your occupations, all of your pursuits, for better or for worse, are charged with significance. And so I like what you said there, Nathan, because it's a helpful reminder. Your job may not be, it may not define you completely, but it is playing a pivotal role in shaping you because your habits shape you and that's what you, and a job occupies you know if you're doing you know full-time work of of course a significant portion of your time that's important it's contributing to your moral formation so on that note if you're in a place where your moral formation is being in some way threatened or inhibited then you're right to search your soul and you're right to make the choice to leave and as Nathan, uh, again, to Nathan's point, that does not necessarily mean your life will immediately be rewarded with a greater sense of convenience. In fact, if, again, if you look to scripture as an example, often the opposite is the case. The road of convenience is often littered with compromise, by the way. It's not always littered with compromise, but it often is. And if you are unwilling to compromise your Christian convictions, you will guaranteedly run into times of difficulty and times of scarcity. And that doesn't necessarily mean you walk away from a job. That, that shows up in various ways in our lives. So just to say that when it comes to the pursuit of work, it's not neutral territory. As Christians, I think we can know that. I think your question about calling is a helpful one and an incisive one. You know, there are some critics, by the way, who strongly want to resist calling language being applied to non-clergy. And I think mm. I think Charles Taylor is in that category. I think he's made some comments along these lines, particularly in Sources of the Self, because this language was formerly, I mean, it was reserved primarily for the clergy. They were they were called to do the Lord's work, the Lord's work, and this is a sacred vocation. And they are set apart, and it is special. Now, you, Nathan and I are both good Protestants, and we would also, there are a lot more could be said here, so just we're going to bracket that particular conversation, but I think we would both heartily affirm the priesthood of all believers. Yeah, who is a priest? That's the question. And, yeah. Yes, and celebrate the sense of calling on everybody's life, no matter what their social standing or what their station or... so. In that sense, I think what you want to guard against is thinking that calling somehow translates to necessarily a form of exaltation or a form of success as our culture measures it. 
And the reason I'm saying that is because I think that's often the impression that you can get if you go to, I don't want to, I'm not going to pick on any names here. I'm not going to name any names. But if you go, for instance, to a leadership conference, I'm not going to, I'm just going to throw all qualifications aside and not say anything. You know, I could die the death of a thousand qualifications here to try to be nice and sweet. But basically, often the, the message in those places is very crushing. If you're not an incredibly gifted person, whether it, you know, if you have a great mind or you're an excellent public communicator, you're really good at leading teams, at being a talent scout, at managing massive budgets, whatever it is. If you don't have any of those skill sets, the message in any of those kind of settings can be very crushing. It's kind of, well, I guess you don't count. I guess you're not a leader because this is the only picture of leadership that's offered to you. Well, that's nonsense. That's not the only picture of leadership. And obviously, if if that were the case, if that's all leadership were, if that was the only picture of success, then that would exclude most of the world's population because most people are pretty regular folks who don't, you know, necessarily <laughs> yeah. mad, manage millions of dollars and, you know, aren't TED talkers. And that's okay. If you think in more holistic terms, then you would recognize that the Lord has you where he has you for a reason. And that, again, there's a tension there. You want to be faithfully following the Lord and stepping out in obedience. But if you're doing that, if you're stepping out in obedience, you're following and obeying Jesus's commands where you are, exercising your leadership, your influence, whether you're a stay-at-home mom or a janitor or somebody who manages a hedge fund, Basically, that sense of call is upon you in all of those roles. But also what Nathan and I said earlier applies here as well. If you find yourself in a place where your character is being threatened or your moral development is being inhibited by whether it's a work environment or something in your arrangements, then it is time to get on your knees before your Lord and talk to spiritual leaders in your life, trusted friends, and press into how you could, how you, maybe, maybe you change, maybe you walk away from something and it will come with a cost. So all that to say, I think calling can and should intersect your, your job, but yeah, I think there's, there's some discernment that, that comes into play there. Well, so you're talking about the idea of calling and it just popped this little thought in my mind out of first Peter chapter two. But if you suffer for doing good and endure it, this is commendable before God. Verse 21 of 1 Peter chapter 2. To this you were called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. And so there's a there's a picture of calling uh, that's that's right there that's embedded in it. I also, this this next thought doesn't apply to everybody, but it has some some merit to it. I was thinking about all of the jobs that people that I know have where they get paid to do things that Christ commands us to do. So, for example, if you're working educationally or in a medical field or something like that, where caring for the sick, caring for the injured, you know, uh, those types of jobs, uh, mm. you should la chuckle to yourself a little bit and say, as a disciple of Jesus, I do this work, and thank God that I also get a paycheck and benefits for doing the Lord's work because it's valuable. Mm -hmm. to So there's a kind of mm -hmm. a, a neat... Um, in between there, I think sometimes in our, we want to look at our roles and say, wow, if you have a job like that, let's be really, really thankful to say, I can earn my bread 
while and the Lord provides this for me as a way to do this and, and uses my gifts in that way. The other thing that was helpful for me is I knew somebody who worked in the medical field who had to work some Sunday shifts. And this person had pretty strong feelings on working on Sunday uh, and not wanting to make that a habit of life. And so what they would do, um, and actually it applies to more than one person, is when they worked on a Sunday shift, they would donate all of their earnings from that day to the church. And so what what they did then mm-hmm. is they said, when I go into work on a Sunday, I'm not earning anything economically do- from this. I'm working this day as an act of worship to God. And so I'm still setting aside this as a as a day of worship in my heart. It's not for economic gain. It's for me to honor the Lord by serving these people in this mm-hmm. way. But that's a pretty, that's, you know, are there neat things like that where we can say, yeah, my career is a service to the Lord and I'm doing this for him and for mm-hmm. his sake. Uh, that's, a, that's a real blessing if you fit into that category. All right, one more, one more scripture here quickly, Cameron, before I let you wrap this up. But as you were talking, I was kind of, balancing out this idea of a song titled Break My Soul with Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. Here's the line. He restores my soul. And so I think we do live in a culture that resonates with the vibes of break my soul. But as Christians and followers of the Lord, we recognize that he restores my soul not a new job. <laughs> the Lord restores my soul. And then the next verse, you can't disassociate with that. He guides me. Actually, it's the next part of the verse. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. And so there is a calling on all of our lives to be guided in the paths of righteousness for the namesake of the Lord. He's the one who restores our soul and gives us satisfaction and meaning in life, not our nine to five or side hustle or whatever. And so I think that's just a a valuable place that I want to end on. Uh, we can understand a cultural mood, but we don't want to participate in it. We want to be people who mm-hmm. call people to another way of, of viewing life. Um, and that's been very meaningful to me at different times to recognize, no, it's the Lord who restores my soul. Uh, there's a, a reset that happens in our corporate collective worship and in our personal moments of solitude before the Lord, where we are deeply refreshed and renewed from within. And there's plenty of scripture talking about the Lord then granting sleep to those who can place themselves in his care. And so let's remember, as we're kind of talking about all the chaos out there, that there is another offer on the table from the Lord to have our souls restored, to sleep well, to see how we really fit into the world and live meaningfully and richly in lives that honor the Lord and honor other people. So yeah, we all know that, but just a friendly little reminder as we bring this to a close. Yeah, that's good. And I like that distinction of understanding a cultural mood, but not necessarily participating in it. It's good to meditate on that. And also a helpful exercise if you are a Beyonce fan, which Nathan clearly is not. But if you are, to maybe set, yeah, break my soul alongside Psalm 23 and consider some of the interesting distinctions there and the ways in which our assurances grant to us a a kind of rest that really is out of place if in this world, if this, if this world is all that there is. So we hope this has been helpful to you. I hope you reflect on it as you go about your week, whether you're on your commute right now to or from work. Go do good work. And of course, as yeah, go do, go do good work. And may you know the Lord's blessing and pleasure as you go about your lives. 
You've been listening to Thinking Out Loud, a podcast where we think out loud about current events and Christian hope. Thanks for listening to Thinking Out Loud. If you'd like to learn more about what we do, book Nathan or Cameron, or if you'd like to support us financially, whether through a one-time donation or on a monthly basis, you can do so on the donate page at www.toltogether.com. That's toltogether.com. And please consider leaving us a five-star rating and sharing this content with your friends. It really does help.